Hi, my name is Visha Cadell, and I'm bringing you Behind the Face of Success, a brand new podcast that delves into the untold stories of people that have reached great heights in their careers and the decisions they took, whether good or bad, to get there. Now, I was a late bloomer to the ballet scene. It's not a society that was really available in my upbringing or in my culture. And because of that, I never really made the effort to go see anything at the Royal Opera House or appreciated it for what it was, how I feel about it right now which is beautiful, calm, and incredible stories told with movement versus our voices. I was first taken to the ballet by a friend and I sort of went along just for the purpose of trying something new. When I did, I was hooked. So when I became friends with Ed Watson, I knew he had to be my first ever guest. Not because he's incredibly kind and lovely to speak to, but it's kind of a big deal, you know? So I've quickly become his biggest fan. So let me tell you a little bit more about him. Ed Watson is a widely celebrated collaborator in dance, fashion and photography, principal dancer of the Royal Ballet for over 20 years and currently repetitor to the principal artist. He's received recognition too. The Critics Circle Dance Awards in 2001, 2008 and 2022, the Olivier Award for Outstanding Achievement in Dance in 2012 the Prix Renoir Award and the Positano Prize in 2015 and an MBE for services to dance. He's currently the subject of a brand new publication, Ed Watson, A Different Dance by Prestel, which is being released this May. So thank you, Ed. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. I know you've been traveling a lot and must be quite exhausted, but welcome back to London and I'm excited to speak to you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's quite a quite a build up. <laughs> <laughs> but richly and rightly deserved as well, because you have done quite a lot. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that as well, starting with you know, your upbringing and things like that. Yeah. So look, Ed, I know you really well. But for the purpose of our listeners today, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself, a bit more about your life growing up and your childhood? Yeah, sure. I'm Ed Watson. I was a principal dancer with the Royal Ballet for over 20 years. But I was born in in Bromley and brought up just outside uh, Dartford in Kent, where I started uh, my ballet training really early. I was like two or three years old. I uh, went along with my twin sister for a bit and then I kind of got seen at a ballet exam and uh, they asked me to audition for the Royal Ballet School when I was 10. I went once a week on a Saturday and then I joined full-time at White Lodge, the lower school, the boarding school, when I was 11 years old and graduated when I was 18 and joined the Royal Ballet Company straight away until I stopped dancing when I was 45. So it's a long time. <laughs> Sounds wow. like a, a really easy, this happened and this happened and this happened, but it's, it's not like that, obviously. You constantly re-audition every year, you're, mm. you know, you're assessed and all that stuff. But yeah, that's the basics of it. Yeah, and that sounds like quite a hard journey too. And I want to know a little bit more about that. But I do really want to know a little bit more about your like upbringing and the culture that you were in, because the work that you're doing now, you know, did you have support with your family and did you get pushed and encouraged along the way? How did that come about as well? I don't really know. It's like I've now that I've finally taken the edge off that whole thing, I'm, I sort of think back quite a lot and I don't really know how it all happened. You know, yeah. we, we're not from a family of like real theatre goers. My dad was a, he's an architect, a surveyor. My mum was a school teacher. 
we were sort of not brought up in any kind of particular way. We were sort of allowed to do anything we wanted to. If we stuck to it, then it was sort of down to us. We weren't completely encouraged or discouraged. It was sort of up to us to to work it out ourselves, which mm. sometimes is a bit frustrating because, you know, I would love to have had a bit more encouragement or a bit more guidance, but actually now I look back and realise that I did do it myself. I was supported, but I, I had to make the decisions. I had to stick to it. And it would have been just as easy to have, if I'd have said, I don't want to do this anymore, that would have been fine too. So I think that was their their way of parenting. But, you know, I, getting into it, it wasn't really a moment of massive inspiration. It wasn't like I saw a ballet and went, I want to do that. Yeah. I, I need to do that. It was the act of doing it once a week with my twin sister to dancing, moving to music once a week. That was sort of the addiction. It yeah. wasn't a visual kind of inspiration. It was something that I did, something that came from me. It was like this personal expression, which sounds very sophisticated now, but age four or five, that's not how you feel. You just knew that you wanted to and you wanted to go along. And then yeah. it becomes serious. It must have been serious because I left home when I was 11. So... Well, that's incredible because I think like inspiration strikes in so many different ways. And for you, it probably was how you felt when you first did it. That's what hit you. Absolutely. You know? Completely a feeling. Yeah. Although I'm really curious, like who did you want to be before you became who you are? So for example, when I was younger, I was like, I want to be a barrister for no reason. Never got into obviously law, but like, I love the idea of wearing the wig. <laughs> it's just the wig. <laughs> and I had another vision of being a policewoman just because I quite like the outfits that they wore. I mean, like it was silly stuff. Did you ever have a vision of yourself as in a different career? You know what? I didn't. And I know that sounds weird. I don't think yeah. I had any idea of who I was or what I wanted to do. I didn't know anything other than my immediate surroundings in, the, in this little village mm. in, in Kent and my immediate family. I didn't really know anything beyond that. So it took me, I didn't know what it would take to be yeah successful in anything or be good in anything I just had this one interest and when I left home and I was surrounded by other people who only had that one interest you start to kind of understand what it is what it takes who you want to be within yeah. that world before that I really it sounds dumb but I had no idea didn't know who I was didn't know what I was doing and it's really nice to hear that you had this network around you that kept pushing your inspiration even further and you stuck around that sort of circle too. But you've talked about your career and, you know, from start to where you are right now, but was it hard to get into and, you know, such a, a skilled craft, but what type of like things did you have to do, courses, learn, did you have to talk to someone or network with someone? So it's quite a weird one, the the dance world, because it's, it's almost impossible mm -hmm. to get into. When I was younger, before I joined the Royal Ballet School, you work towards uh, grade exams, like you would, you know, playing the piano. You have your grades that you pass, you, you practice, and you get to a level and then you take an exam. But then you get to the Royal Ballet School and it's more extreme. You're judged on your physical appearance, your hips are tested, your knees are tested, your ankles are tested. You have to meet a set of technical demands. Your musicality is tested. You're mm -hmm. tested as, as an artist, how you interpret music, things like that. So it's, it's a lot. And I had no idea what that would be. I learned very early on that 
I just had to work really hard because yeah. there's so much talent. There's so many people who want it as much as you do and are better than you physically, uh, stronger than you mentally. So you just sort of knuckle down and you work at the actual technique of it. You know, there's such a specific technique which goes back so many years of what ballet should look like what is expected of you, how to make a line, how to make a position, you know, those kind of things that you can actually work on to make better. So that's what I did. I just worked harder than everybody else. Yeah. And I find that admirable, by the way, because the things that you're having to work on are really personal too. It's about your the way you perform and you talked about appearance and how you look and the strength of your body. But those are personal things about yourself and mm. I don't know like you've like how did you get into the right mindset to sort of see yourself as this is about my craft this is not about me and I'm going to get better like did you have to switch mindset a little bit I think I didn't know that you needed a mindset I think I was so mm. young at 11 I had no idea what a mindset was I just knew that I wanted to be there and I mm. knew that I didn't want them to get rid of me which is the constant threat of growing up in that environment is you're assessed every year and you can be asked to go home at mm -hmm. the end of a term. It's that quality control. It's that standard thing. And you don't want to be left behind. And also mm -hmm. we're doing our academic work there, you know, GCSEs and A-levels. You don't want to be left behind in that either. So it's quite a high pressured competitive atmosphere with people who are your friends. So we've all got each other's back because we've got no family. We're all each other's support, but at the same time, we're each other's competition. So it's a very strange environment to step into as a child. But also, you're surrounded by mirrors all day. So you're very aware of what you look like growing up, going through puberty, boys, girls, we're getting, you know, our bodies are changing. It's a very easy, negative headspace to be in. So you grow up with you challenge yourself about your own negative ideas of who you are and what you look like. And that's also another thing that we had to get through. You work through it as, so you kind of grow up hating yourself, hating the way you look, being criticized on the way you look. It's, it's a constant, and it sounds really like, why would you do that to yourself? It's about your idea of excellence, the best version of yourself is not completely negative to push yourself to be something. I guess the idea of looking a certain way is tough. It's that weird mix, dance ballet is that weird mix of like high athleticism and somebody else's artistic ideas of what they like and what they don't like. You kind of train yourself into everyone else's idea of what is expected of you. And it's so interesting hearing you say this because since I've been clearly bugging you about profile photos and things like that, <laughs> and every time you send me a photo, I was like, oh, you're so photogenic. I hate you. I've been obsessed with all your pictures. And I have a very different version of you. And, and it's so interesting to hear you represent yourself in that way of like, oh, I actually was a bit hard yeah, on myself. I mean, that's so funny for me to hear that, you know, people see pictures of me and think that I'm photogenic. I grew up hating the way I looked. And in that, in my world, I was kind of the ugly one, the ugly, skinny, ginger one. So the fact now that people want to take my picture still freaks me out a little bit. I'm like, okay, but now I'm older, you know, I'm nearly 47. I look back on those pictures and goes, oh, actually, I wasn't that bad compared yeah. to now. You know, it's like, Oh, well, I bet you were because I was talking to someone about this last night and I was like, God, I was an ugly teenager. But, <laughs> like, and I still hate photos, but I can't imagine with social media right now is that how people are looking at themselves in a very different way. So yep. you're almost like 
putting the world on your own lives a little bit. And I kind of like the fact that, well, the way I feel like you're speaking right now is you've got this very different type of confidence, which is I'm kind of okay with this now, but people see you in a different way to how you see yourself. And yeah, I guess I grew up without social media. You know, I grew up without Facebook, without the internet, without Instagram. So I only really discovered that in my late thirties, that sort of happened. So by that time, most of that kind of shit about how you feel about yourself and how you think you look is sort of you know you're kind of over it because you're like well this is it this is what I'm working with (laughs) (laughs) which is amazing by the way Right. So I want to know a little bit more, going back to your career, just for the purpose of the listeners, it was a significant moment in the arts and cultural industry when you retired as a full-time principal of ballet. And now you're appearing and producing shows. So I want to know a little bit more about that. Like, how did you make that change in your career and, and that decision before you left and trying something new? Yeah, I mean, it, I'd love to dumb it down and say it was going to happen eventually, but it, it's really hard. You know, it's hard mm. to have committed your whole life to doing one thing. And then just because you're a bit older to go, I'm not going to do that anymore. But it, it's a little bit like I can't do that anymore at the level which I had created for myself. You know, I created a level that anything other than that, I was never going to be happy with. It's really hard to to dance at that level. It takes a lot of energy and commitment and discipline and that only gets harder the older you get so the moment that the preparation outweighs the joy of actually achieving it I realized that it was time to just kind of say I did that that's what I did with the first half of my life what else is there so dance has been my whole life and still is my whole life and I didn't want to go I'm going to do something completely different I don't you know because I don't know anything else so they offered me the job of being the full-time coach of the principals there and the repetitor they call it so that's something that I was really interested in it was something I was starting to do coach the younger dancers while I was still dancing myself and so I thought it would be a good way of finding out what it is I'd be good at but at the same time I didn't want to go I'm never going to dance again I'm not going to do that So it's been really nice to have some choice. In a way, I was always owned by the Royal Ballet, completely owned. I did whatever they told me to do. And it was amazing because, you know, why wouldn't you? But now to have a bit of choice and have my own ideas about how I want to present myself as a a 40-something, still in that artistic way, that creative way. So it's coming in bits of like uh, producing shows, appearing in certain one-off moments that, Basically, I don't. I want to do things I've never done before. To be frightened again—that's the bit that kept me good at what I did—is the fact that I was always scared and always had to get that, you know, my act together and be brave and get out there. And, and if I stopped for a bit, I missed that part of who I am. So I'm still kind of working it out. I've always been the person that said yes to everything, and I don't think that I really want to stop that just because I'm a bit older. So yeah. if the opportunity is there, I, I want to find out about it. Yeah. And I love the fact that you said that because making a change just gives you a whole new lease of life and you don't know what you're going to be doing in the next sort of seven years. Who knows? The opportunities are endless, right? I think it is about maximising your an opportunity. I yeah. totally believe in that, whether you have you know huge amounts of doubt about it or whether you're excited about it. I think it is that feel the fear and do it anyway thing I retired to such a kind of fanfare it literally felt like turning up to my own funeral people were crying and throwing flowers and I was like Mm -hmm. I'm only like 40 something you know I feel like 
you know, what else is there? And I'm kind of excited by that again. Initially, I was kind of worried about it, but I feel kind of excited. And um, it's that drive that you have in order to do something at a certain level that doesn't go away. Kind of in a weird way gets stronger with the idea of kind of unknown opportunities, I think. Yeah, I hear you. It just kind of gives you strength doesn't it? Because you're so motivated about trying to do. I love that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about like a time where you felt like you had a bit of a fail, but you had to bounce back from it. Did you ever experience something like that? Constantly in my life, that life that I kind of lived for the, for those years, you can work as hard as you you like. There's no limits on how hard you work, but it's down mm-hmm. to someone else to decide whether you're good or not. So, you know, there's there's been times where I worked really hard towards a role and then a couple of days before my performance that someone would say to me, well, you're not actually going to go on. You're not ready. We don't think you're good enough yet. So those kind of disappointments you have to pick yourself up from. And, you know, there's in extreme cases of that, that's happened to me. I was about to do a big role for the first time. Two days before they said to me, we don't think you're ready. We're going to put someone else on. You deal with that. Ten minutes later, I'm called back into the office and they say, actually, that person we were going to replace you with is now injured. So you're going to have to do it. So you go through this extreme of things and going, am I just going to tell them to just go for themselves? (laughs) I'm so upset. Or do I just go, no, I'm going to prove myself now and get my all of my strength together and go, I'm going to do this. So that life was constantly like that about huge highs, massive lows, having to get the lows together and deal with it. But, you know it's things like injury you can work be working so hard and flying at such a, a height and then you know I, you could fall and, and break a foot and then the, the low is so extreme mm. I was trying to retire and I ruptured a ligament under my foot which meant I couldn't even walk so I kept pushing towards the rehabilitation of that injury and get myself back to a level that you know I wanted to be at and then that took nine months and then on my way back doing my rehab, I broke a bone in my foot because I was pushing myself too hard. You know, another nine months happened and then a pandemic happened. <laughs> and then yeah. I had to make a threat ballet and retire on that. So there's times where you just do have to, I don't know how else to say it apart from keep the faith of the work that you have done, mm-hmm. the person that you have made yourself into, the level that you've set for yourself and just keep that in mind. You know, it, had a really hard time with that injury and anxiety about it, like proper panic attacks walking down the street thinking, if I go into class today and try and rehearse, is something else going to break? Is, you know, is my body going to give out? And But then finding yourself doing it and getting to the end of the day exhausted and stressed and sitting there on the bus sweating with a panic attack thinking, what am I mm. doing? Is this the right thing to be that I should be doing? But somehow I've always been able to find a way of talking myself back into it because I think I hate the idea of leaving anything unresolved, unfinished, unfulfilled in a way. This life is about dealing with the lows, allowing yourself to celebrate the good bits, which I was never very good at. I was always like, don't, don't jinx it. Keep going, keep going. But then now I wish that I'd been more present in those really high moments. There's so much you said in that. And actually, there's one thing I wanted to pick up on. Actually, a couple of things I want to pick up on. One of the things that you said was about the way you sort of like approached a situation where you had some rejection and then you were offered the job and then you went back and said, I'm going to turn this into something. There was a lot to be said. And I'm not sure you realize this. There's a lot to be said about 
your super strength in owning your own narrative. You decided, I'm going to let this be my story. I'm going to work harder. And I think that is such a skill. And I talk about that a lot. And I really want more people to really understand that that is you control your own narrative. So don't let rejection take you down. Just like really work hard at it. And the other thing that you said was about how you felt like this panic attacks and and how you picked yourself up along the way. That's really, really tough to do. And to your point about having your cheerleaders around you, do you have like a support network around you? Like, I mean, I feel like you're my support network, by the way. Like, I feel like you've helped me. You're mine as you've well. given me like, some love. Yeah, it's important to have that network of people who aren't also directly involved in your work life. I grew up with a lot of people, you know, from the age of 11 that I still see every day now because we work together. So that's like a family. So we've always got each other's back. But also I love my my friends and my life outside of my immediate dance world because they can look at what I do and go, well, that doesn't make sense. Or what, what about this? Or, you know, and they can bring me influence of their creative life, their working life, their emotional lives. And we just kind of spark off each other in that way. And, you know, one of those people, the best thing they ever said to me about anxiety and all of that stuff, it's turbulence, isn't it? It's that thing of turbulence. You're in the air, you're flying, something goes wrong. You have a little bit of panic, but you know the likelihood is the plane's not gonna crash. Yeah. You're going to get through this moment. It's about getting through turbulence. I think that was a really important thing for me to learn, that it wasn't, it's going to be this huge disaster. You're going to have rough moments, yeah. but then you're going to get on with it. And that's kind of how later in my career I started to see things. And it was a really nice way of finding a power to overcome something. Well, yeah, yeah, this is, this is, this is happening. It's real, but it's not going to last. I'm going to find a way out of this. And I think... That's in the last few years has been a real a real strength to me. Yeah. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about myself selfishly because I'm just like learning so much of what you're saying. And it's actually making me feel a bit better and reinforcing some things that I felt about myself too. It's just like when you go past those turbulent moments and you actually just see how you weathered it through, she shows a sign of res- resilience, really, doesn't it? And yeah. And it's if you want to look back on and go, oh, yeah. I was a bit stronger than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. You can deal with a lot. And then when you dealt with that, you can actually help other people deal with that too. And there's something quite nice about passing that on a little bit as well, being a strength to someone else. Kind of my role now as a coach to the other principals, I can see them having those moments that I experienced myself and go, okay, I can help you out of this somehow. You know, that's as rewarding as as kind of doing it yourself. Yeah, sign of a good leader. So, you know, one of the things we talked about was negativity. I obviously have been working in uh, tech for a really long time. So I feel like quite in tune to this like topic. And I'm always thinking about like negativity, especially because we're online quite a lot. Now, you've had very different experiences of negativity, actually. And I've never thought about that until you've actually lifted a lid on that for me and made me realize that too. So how do you feel about the social media pressures around you? Like, how do you stay on your own path? How do you stay motivated and inspired, given the fact that there's so much noise around us all the time? Yeah, it's hard to kind of dampen down that noise of looking for validation of what you do through someone pressing a like button or someone commenting, oh, my God, that's amazing. But before everyone was a critic, like before Twitter and blogs and all of that stuff, when you were just reviewed in a newspaper really publicly once you've had 
real extremes of that, people saying you're the next best thing to in the same role, a different newspaper saying that's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's a weird kind of training to harden yourself to the fact that in this artistic world, mm -hmm. art is based on other people's opinions of the work. When you are physically the work, that's hard to start with emotionally because you invest a lot of yourself in it. But then you sort of find the ridiculousness and the beauty of the fact that you are having, you are making people have a strong opinion about you. You've done that, whether it's great or awful. It kind of evens it out as that you've done something. You've affected somebody in some way. And that's, in a way, that was my job was to affect people. And you obviously, you want everyone to love everything you do. But once you get your head around the fact that, well, you know, there's lots of songs I don't like. There's lots of paintings I don't like. There's lots of books I don't like. You're one of those things. That comes with age and experience and being slagged and being praised. <laughs> you, you just kind of work it out. That's what people are going to do. And social media is a, is a more immediate way of getting to you. But, you know, block and delete. <laughs> yeah, yeah you've put a really positive spin on that by the way like and I never thought about it which is you affected an emotion and that's quite powerful just affecting emotion whether it's like a positive one whether it's a kind of like yeah cool whatever to something that's potentially quite a negative one doesn't really matter but it's the fact that they, you've carried effect and I think that's really interesting and again a good sign of resilience as well when you go right that's okay yeah. and that's your opinion and to your point, especially when you're in the creative industries as well and the arts and culture industry, it's more having to think about like your own performance and your craft, your, your number one is your own skill set and you know you're good at it. So that's the thing you sort of centre on and focus on. Yeah, it's a funny thing to learn. I think you have to have been through the extremes of, you know, of it, proper negativity, people having a real problem with what you do. You know, it's you just kind of find this middle with it all and a weird kind of calm acceptance of people are just going to do that. So I just find the industry you're in and the field that you're in it's just so fascinating just because I'm so out of it. I'm in the audience watching you versus behind the scenes or anything like that. You know, if you had to drop three hot top tips for somebody that wants to get into this field, what would those be? Listen to your teachers, your instructors, the people that have done it and know. Don't go into it thinking you know everything about it and what it's going to be. Give yourself that moment to listen and take on board and try. I think that was the biggest thing I learned. You get used to people, oh, you're good at this, you're good at this. Oh, yeah, someone gives you a note or a correction, I've got it. Actually give yourself the time to take that note on, understand what it means. I think that was a really important thing. And then I guess number two would be a little bit like we were talking about saying it, form your own opinion, go and watch everything, go and hear everything, go and see everything that you can, go watch dance, go watch plays, go listen to music, be inspired yourself, form your own artistic opinions, uh, work out who you are. It becomes who you are as an artist. Even the stuff that you don't like, it makes you think, why didn't I like that? It kind of sparks a constant questioning, which I think is really important for for someone in any artistic occupation, calling, whatever. I think that's the most important thing that doesn't really go away. Stay inspired. Go find your inspiration. Don't be the person that flicks through a paper and, oh, that looks quite interesting, and then not go. Go, go find out. 
And then I don't know what the other last thing would be. Yeah, find that focus. You know, it sounds really simple, but I think if you're driven to do something and that passion is there, don't miss the moment. Don't miss the opportunity. Keep that focus. I think those are three very strong ones, especially in an age where there's so much distraction. Yeah. Focus on yourself is so important, not the selfie version of you. We talked about that personally, about the Instagram version of you versus the real version of you. Yeah. And actually a lot about what you've just talked about is the hard grit, the experience and things that you've been able to take on. And all of that has been, don't look at the mirrors too much unless it's going to tell me something about my performance or, you know, don't worry about the critics because I'm going to focus on my craft and then could I make it better next time the way I need to. Like you, owning your narrative is a really strong one as well, because I think we kind of get lost trying to figure out who we are and what our story is. And your story is to the point of what we just talked about, still untold. The one thing I'm, I love the part about feedback and I genuinely believe that feedback is a gift. But I also think that there's so much feedback out there. There's so much feedback. So how do you filter the feedback? Or do you filter the feedback or do you just take it all on? Yeah, you do filter it. You listen to the people that you've learned to trust, whose opinions you like, whose taste mm -hmm. you like. I kind of zone in on, on those very few people who I completely trust and respect and really listen to them. That's the feedback that I'll take on and think about someone who I don't really believe in or don't really think has got my best interest there I'll just be like yeah yeah thank you but you know I think mm -hmm. that's something also to work out just with with experience too because when when you're younger and you're getting into it you want everybody's opinion because you want as much influence as you can and I think that's hard yeah. that's hard being a young person a young dancer because you've got all that ahead of you to achieve and you want people to love what you do so it, it's kind of hard to to work out who's the one to listen to but once you have just stick with that yeah that just again goes so much to say about your network I have a few people I reach out to and I go and get their advice and I take the feedback that I get and I ask their opinion because they have more experience than me and I always just try and get their perspectives and I went to go do a talk at school and one student actually asked me that question about getting a network. Like, how do you network? How do you get that network? He's 15 years old as well. So it's just such a, I found that a really interesting question to come mm. from a 15-year-old. But how would you have answered that? I don't know. <laughs> You're like, they just come to me. <laughs> Everybody comes to me. It's all about me. <laughs> no, I, um, I guess I've been asked before, how did you do it? And I don't, I don't know. I think I just was open to ideas, open to suggestion. It's working out your taste, working out who to listen to. And that only comes with being open enough to listen to everybody at some point and film. Yeah. Do you feel like you're an introvert or an extrovert? On stage, I was a massive extrovert. In real life, I'm quite an introvert. It was a life of proper extremes. Like I'm really shy. Like I'm not good in a big group of people that I don't know. It was like a dare, like, oh, I'm going to be that person tonight. I don't know how that happened because I'm not like that at all. Really? Do you create a version of yourself? That's quite interesting. You sort of do, but it must be in there somewhere because it's yeah. oh, it's not a total act. It comes from a, a real place. It, it's within. But yeah, I'm probably more introvert. I think I'm exactly the same as you. I'm an introvert doing an extrovert's job. And yeah. I think when you and I first met, 
you were opposite me on one table. I think I first had a, a like couple of chats with you. The second time, I think we were like hanging out on the same table and <laughs> we were just like gossiping yeah, with ourselves. There. I was like, oh, she's like me. That's going to be all right. <laughs> I did the same. I was like, okay, he's my people. We're <laughs> 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 just going to have said on that. That's amazing. But there's something about that actually, because walking into a room and talking to people is kind of scary and we all have to do a version of networking in our jobs. And if you're not a naturally extrovert person that wants to go and socialize and you get exhausted from socializing. It's, I like the fact that just you center on the people that you feel like I'm going to, I think we're going to find common ground Mm -hmm. and this is going to end up being a really nice night. And then we became friends and that's how our relationship sort of developed. It wasn't a network. It was friendship, which is so nice. Yeah. It's a nice kind of connection. I think it comes from weirdly from my point of view, it's almost like, using performance skills to meet people, getting over myself and being the brave version of myself. I have to talk to myself and go, okay, she looks like she's going to get me and we laughed at the same thing. So I'm going to I'm gonna be brave and talk to her. It's unlike that. And then yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, I love that. This podcast is called Behind the Face of Success. So we've wanted to hear your story and how you got there. Success is a funny word though, isn't it? I always find it, it just sounds really like, has so much gravitas and when you're there and I see you as successful but there's so many different versions of success in my opinion and you could be successful in many points of your life but if you had to surmise your success in three words what would it be? Mm. That's like a tough one doesn't it? That is hard because you know I think while I was doing it right in the middle of those glory years I never allowed myself to feel successful and I think maybe that was my secret weapon is that I sort of was able to filter out the noise and focus so I would say keep the focus whatever the opinions are going to be there of whether you're successful or not keep the focus keep the work keep it about the work the work is why you're there and celebrated you know if we're talking about success because you know being a dancer you you know, and being a well-known dancer, other things came to me, like you'd do a fashion shoot or you'd be asked to talk on the radio and things. You, you kind of could get carried away with that. But actually why they want to take your picture or hear what you have to say is because you're really good at that one thing. The moment you're not good at that thing, you know, what's the point? So I yeah. always kept that in my mind, the first love in, in a way. Yeah. That's what it was. That dedication, that focus to the real essence of who I am and what I'm putting out there. That's kind of my top tip is keep it about the work. And yeah. then stuff comes and stuff stuff happens and success can be in lots of different branches of that. But I think whatever kind of awards had happened or whatever, I always come in the next day and want to be better at yeah. my job. I always kept that. And I think that's what sort of saved me from not going off the rails. Improvement. And I, I love what you just said, which was, celebrate yourself and celebrate your success and in whatever you may want to do like I have this ritual by the end of the year when I'm so exhausted when I close out the year and this is at Christmas time I open up a little bottle of champagne and I just cheers myself and I said did it did it and you can celebrate yourself and I love the fact that you just said that yeah I used to after a big show you know all that pressure all that build-up I would whatever time you know the show finishes at 10 30 by the time you're out of makeup and costume it's like nearly midnight I would always make myself go out with my friends and have a drink and get drunk and celebrate that moment. If they'd been in the audience, we'd have like these little <laughs> mini parties. And even though I was exhausted and knew that I would have to come in and work the next day, 
those moments are as important as anything is to mark a moment. I believe in celebrating those moments. Well, I'm just going to say thank you. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know you've been traveling a lot. You've got a new book. I've got a book. <laughs> I am, which is coming out this um, as soon as this podcast actually goes out. So that's even more exciting as well. But I just want to say thank you for your time because I've got so much out of this conversation and it's actually come at a good time for me where I'm questioning things in my life and I feel like I feel encouraged by what you've just said and it's made me a stronger woman off the back of it so I appreciate it. Oh that's amazing no it's been really nice to talk to you and come up with things that I didn't even know I thought or felt. I loved it thank you again. Thanks.